competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nadavati. Hey Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. And also Adrian Veerwood from Germany. Hello, hello guys. How are you guys today? Thanks for joining us. Absolutely having a blast. This is part one of a two-part conversation. We're going to be talking about Arcs of Omen and how it's making things change. I mean, just a casual flip through the book, you're going to see some secondaries altered, gone, new detachments. What world are we living in? <laughs> We're going to demystify all of that during the first part of this conversation, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Arcs of Omen's really flipped the meta on its head, <laughs> completely on over. And uh, today we have Adrian, who's from King of the Hill content creation channel in Germany, one of the strongest players in Germany, come all the way over to the States to help us break down the meta from all these different perspectives. Adrian, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm actually super excited, feeling like a child wandering around a candy store you know with the new arcs of omen there's so many options perspectives possibilities it's actually like i really don't even know where to start right yeah that's true there's there are so many options but i bet a lot of players find themselves in that exact spot which is why talks like this i think are so valuable because you know bring us some perspective of doing well in the previous format using that figure out what is transferable to this new one and also get an idea of what you know other top players out there are thinking about yeah for sure for sure before we get uh, this is also leading up to the LVO. So, you know, while that meta is kind of set and and you have to kind of live a little bit in that perspective, it's kind of fun to be thinking about what happens the day after. It is fun, but it's also super confusing, right? When you prepare for, let's say, an old meta for an old world, you know, playing uh, different formats, you know, different layouts and also, let's say, different rules. And then again, you, you, you're also thinking in your head, oh, my God, I just want to jump on this new stuff. I want to play, you know, the, the latest hotness and all that stuff. So it's kind of a weird, interesting spot that we currently in neck what have you been playing recently is your primary force recently i've been playing necrons by heart and let's say by default i would be like a custodies or marines player but over the course of the last let's say six months they didn't have their strongest suit and i always love to compete and i also want to have good results also always want to be competing for the wtc team so that left me a bit in the dust with these factions so i jumped onto necrons which were really interesting, especially also when you think about not not the mission stuff, more about having a big focus only on movement and deployment. So that was really interesting, actually. Necrons are an army that's fallen a bit out of favor in the American meta. I'm not entirely sure why, um, but I think it's still doing really strong over in Germany. Is that the case? It does, but it's really hard to win tournaments, especially GTs or majors with that, because on the top tables, all players have answers for that, and they know exactly when and how to put hurt and effects, negative effects into a Necron build. So yeah, that's something where I saw, okay, it's really, really tough to get to the first places with Necrons. We do have to talk about that for a bit. Is The Necrons were so dominant for a period of time because they have some durability built in. Of course, the Silent Kings, like a, well, a true force multiplier. 
And then they were so great at scoring points. They could kind of play a almost a non-interactive game and a couple of changes. Silent Kings changed about that. But what else has changed or what have players become wise to? You mentioned that that some players are able to inject some instability or less reliability uh, as, as opponents to the Necron Force. What is that? So you mean what have changed? So that, well, the, that I think folks may be comfortable with what has changed, uh, but it, you know what's missing from that as far as like their ability to still score points, uh, and then what have players? I guess this is the second part of the question: What have players started doing that maybe they weren't doing a couple of months ago uh, to to give them a leg up against forces like that? I mean, I think there are a couple points to it, right? At first, you you would have always seen builds that include the Silent King. And at first, for many players, the Silent King was something spooky, I would say. It was kind of powerful, and not every player and army had an answer for him, right? So if he lived long enough through the game, so he, he could already sometimes win the game by himself. So I think that definitely changed. So players uh, found answers to him and to put him down like in a very quick time if they wanted to. And also... Yeah, I think it's 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 just the the depth for Necrons is also what Necron players found out is just not there in the codex, right? We talk about data sheets. The data sheets are not really deep. And also the combinations, it's more like a you know, one, two combinations that they have, maybe you know, like a relic and, and a stratagem or a data sheet and a strategy and something like that. They don't they do not have these layers um, to pick up, to pile up, to compete on a very consistent level. That's like I think one of the major issues that evolved through the last uh, six months. What are some examples of things that can take down the Silent King in short order? Oh, there's a lot of examples. There can be Eldar, um, you know, like uh, fire dragons jumping out of falcons, you know, with exploding sixes and something like that, you know, it can really, really hurt him. There is uh, several close combat units that can, once they reach him, and especially when they um, touch him through the Meneers, uh, he's very sad, he cannot do fight last, you know, and then they can also put hurt to him. And in addition to that, you don't even necess- necessarily have to kill him. It's enough if you remove the Meneers and put him, you know, down by one bracket, then he already lost so much of his output, actually. Yeah, nice, thank you. Yeah, so sure. I can see how Necrons are, are starting to fall by the wayside. They have in the States a little bit, and you kind of talked about how they aren't placing the first places in Germany, um, probably because people have a tuner list to increase the damage output, kill them before their points factory gets going. But now you've flown across the Great Atlantic, and you're here over in Florida. Yes. Almost in Las Vegas, on the way even. Yes. You've had a bit of a spiral, Adrian. I, I watched it happen <laughs> firsthand. What did you end up bringing this thing? Walk us through that oh, journey. Oh, my. Uh, can I say, like, oh, my God, or is this uh, out of line? Nice. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for me, <laughs> um, starting this topic is like, uh, I don't know. I think everybody who has ever been to the Art of War house can relate to that. For everyone else, it might be still, like, kind of a... Um, some mystification, but when I arrived here, I had all my plans set, right? I will play Necrons at LVO. I will get a couple of training games in with the player plays terrain, stuff like that, because I have never played it before. And get to know the guys, you know, have a good time, vibing, all that stuff, right? And just but, for context, Adrian, you, yeah. you arrived just two, three, four days ago, and you're staying at our place for about two weeks before LVO. Yes, exactly, exactly. But list, list, uh, lists were due, like, when was it, Monday, like two days ago, right? Yeah. So we had basically also Quinn over. So we were like kind of a lot of people that that weekend and that weekend was destined to practice for LVO. So the old old hammer, the old world. And I was sure, you know, like to, to play that. And after my first game with player plays terrain, I was like, uh, 
the list I was thinking about and everything I just made my mind up with in Europe when I was still there didn't work out the way I thought it would have. So we, let, me, let me pause you right there because there's lots on deck yeah. with this. Okay. You were you played your first game ever with Player Place Terrain when you came over to our place? Yes, exactly. And that's two weeks before LVO. So I know you yes. in Germany, you guys play with a lot of the WTC terrain, variations of it in the German style. And those boards, for Americans who may not know or people who aren't familiar, they're very dense terrain, lots of lots of small ruins all over the place, line of sight blocking everywhere. You can't create a shot or you can't no. see anything from more than like two feet in front of you. And then yes. you player place terrain, Adrian. And what was that like? The short answer to that is it was like welcome sometimes to Planet Bowling Ball. And uh, the second answer was also that is a setup which is kind of luck-based, I would say, you know, depending on who wins the first roll-off and also depending on what kind of armies you play. But overall, that is very decisive uh, already. And, the, the um, you know, the gap between in, in experience playing player plays terrain can be huge also. So that was like my first takes on that. And also what adds up to that is like, of course, we would also like have to train that or practice that in Europe or Germany or wherever as well. But it's hard to copy because we are not used to these, let's say, FLG terrain and formats. And, you know, just for one tournament to do that, it's just very big of an effort. And we didn't see and we didn't have the time to do that because many of us do, don't do that full time. So that's also a challenge, I would say. Yeah, totally understandable. So you came here, you had all your plans laid out, um, you knew what you were playing or you thought you did, you're going to get some practice games in and then go over to the big show. And then you come here and the player place terrain has really thrown you for a wrench and list submissions in give or take 48 hours. So what happened? Yeah. <laughs> what happened then was like, um, there's two hearts beating in my chest, right? So first <laughs> of all, the, the, the first heart would say, you know what, you're a competitive guy. You do that in Germany as well, Europe as well. You go to majors whenever you can. So should you also bring like, you know, an S tier list and try to compete and everything, you know, and maybe you can make a good also placement there that would be also nice for yourself and maybe also for the team and for everybody else in Germany. And the second thought was, oh my God, you know, this is such such a, you know, such a lackluster, such a big of an effort that I have to, to put up to maybe achieve that. Maybe I should just go for fun and just look at this, you know, for a fun event and experience and more focus on the, um, let's say, Arcs of Omen stuff, to put it lightly, right? And what happened then is, um, you know, whenever you are surrounded by yourself, you really, it, it depends on what kind of people you, you surround yourself with. So in this case, when you are surrounded by highly competitive, very skilled and also cool people who play cool and very strong armies, you get so many impulses, so many ideas and so many concepts. And I was like, okay, maybe we can find a way. What do you think, guys, if we can put up a faction and an army that is kind of easy to play and it also fits well into player place terrain, stuff like that. And then we started out with the Custodes build from the WTC team that John was fielding because I'm quite familiar with Custodes. So yeah, that was interesting. But as you guys know, this was kind of a skewed list. It lacks some of the OPSEC and it definitely has some outs. So some lists which can really hard counter it. So then I will have some, some more context. Now you're trying to restart an army two days before list submission, learn one, play one, maybe something a little bit easy is what you're going yeah. for. And a yeah. pro terrain placement format thing and, uh, you know, old meta, you know, it's a whole lot of uh, levers and dials here. Yeah. Yes. So that was, that, that was level one. Okay. That was level one. So like in the, in the computer game, then I went to level two as I found it a bit, um, 
frustrating to play that build. Oh no, not level two. <laughs> level two is thousand suns. <laughs> as we thought. So, so you're like, I wanna. This, I'm trying to put myself in the in the shoes of Adrian right now. You come to America, your plan doesn't work. Player place terrain is confusing. You tried an army custodies, not for you. Whatever it might be. So you're like, well, you know, it's really easy to play, simplistic. I could definitely learn this and master in two days, do well in a, for LVO. Thousand suns, definitely not a complicated army at all. <laughs> no, that was there was more. You know, there was the first hut which said, you know what, most of the top players will bring thousand suns plus X and flamers most likely, which is uh, the strongest army in the game currently, un- undoubtedly. And there was like, okay, I can submit this list and then I will grind this list in for let's say ten days every day, minimum one game, you know and you know, read it to the codex, do all that stuff. I had also all my German and international contacts ready who would support me on that. But after doing two games with them, I already could see, like, I was thinking about the rounds that I would play at a minimum, and I, I saw my brain melting, you know, like... <laughs> After one game, two games, three games, stacking up, you know, like all these combinations. So I thought maybe this could be also a challenge and make LVO not a fun, fun experience for me. And then I would be also angry with myself if I didn't have fun, you know. Yeah, definitely. You owe it to yourself to enjoy this time. It's not just about performance for sure. Yes, exactly. And then ultimately I came up with the idea that that I, I said to myself, in the end of the day, nobody really cares um, how I perform at LVO. So sometimes it's also nice and liberating to say to yourself, even though you're a competitive guy, to say, okay, you know what, I let I let it go. I uh, leave it to someone else, and I just want to try something new and find something easy that I can I can steer and pilot. And then I think kind of last minute we came up with Tyranids, where I was thinking I would never play Tyranids in my life, but we came up with a I think really funny and nice uh, monster mesh list, which uh, has only big bucks, you know, uh, very similar data sheets, and a very let's say two-phase heavy heavy conception so that is the end end result of my you know lvo practice with the art of warhouse actually and level three i got nothing to say paul take it away from here no that's great i I, yeah i think uh with the the ability i mean once you get comfortable i tell the people this all the time once you kind of get comfortable moving around figures that's like step one yeah Uh, and that gives you lots of options and then you get you know the next step from that is getting comfortable with how to play the game like how do you choose what a good secondary is for you and so maybe yeah. let's talk about that for a second. So those armies you've talked about as your various options, they play, they do play differently. Uh, the, the, the thing they have in common is that they are models on a table. Was that your first <laughs> yes. time with Tyranids ever? Like, that one practice game before the submission? Yes. But it was a very successful practice game, actually. <laughs> it was. So, <laughs> shout, shout out to Quinton on his birthday. <laughs> but how do you then, uh, I guess evaluate what is the right path to victory is i mean you can look at a because there's there's complexities here so there's how to navigate the complexities of we've got the data slate then you've got stratagems you know and then you've got um yeah um, i guess i guess then the secondaries about how they interact on the table to where they're what they're capable of doing how do you blend that together with a list that you know may not be like completely familiar with from the start so of course, when you when you have the the perfect plan or a very you know positive plan in, in in place, it's exactly as you just described, right? But for this one, you know, you can do so many things to limit yourself and not you know fall off into something weird. What I, what I mean by that is. 
for example, when we look at the Turinit lists, it has very few command points to start with. So that's zero. You know what I mean? So, so there's not much interaction with stratagems and whatsoever. So you just need to focus on a bunch, let's say three to five, which might come into play over the course of the game, right? So that's the stratagem part right there. Then how it plays also, it really helps me, you know, when it comes to player place terrain. I do not care too much about, you know, angles and all that stuff. It's more like I want to have a clean space, a, a, a clean space I can rampage through, you know what I mean, with these bugs. So um, that also helps with the format, so I don't have to, like, dive really into that and, and cannot have too much room for mistakes there. And the rest is just up, you know, positioning, of course, primary game, and then, you know, the basics, thinking, okay, how can I can I approach certain matchups? And, of course, this is not the perfect list, because if it would exist, everybody would take it. But in some matchups, as with every big tournament, you also need some luck, start, you know, have the first turn, you know, being able to rush and put up your defense with psychics or whatever. And that really is the end result of my, let's say, first days at the Art of War Trap House. I, I genuinely love it. I think there is a, a beautiful silver lining in how you came to this army. It looks like you're just brute forcing your way across the table. In essence, you kind of are. But you, you did have a really well-formulated, thought-out plan with your Necrons. And then you did have it sweeped out from under you, right? <laughs> yes. As you found out about player place terrain. And then, you know, you like you said, you had the ability to either stick it through and just do the best you can with your army when the odds are stacked against you already, or you can adapt. And you, as a Tyranid does, tried three different factions um, and adapted. <laughs> and the way you adapted, it kind of acknowledges the fact that you have no practice games. And it's getting in front of the fact that you don't know your army that well. If you're going to YOLO an army, take it from someone with experience, do it the way you've done it. You know, like you have, like you said, very few strats to consider. You're playing a bunch of big monsters, Carnifexes, Hive Tyrants, that kind of thing, smashing your opponent. You don't have to be a rocket science, and I don't mean any offense by this, to shoot people with the Venom Cannons and charge them with the Carnifex. Yeah, you've move towards the, the big circles on the table. Right. Yes, <laughs> you, you exactly. intentionally brought it down to earth because you don't want to overcomplicate complicated yourself yes i mean look if it was a tournament for example in in europe most of the time right we talked about some some setups already and and terrain layouts and all that stuff of course it's it could be a different ball game right because when you know the pre-setup terrain you can tech for that you can build for that you know what is strong in the game and also when you have a pre-setup terrain you can also take into account maybe not an s-tier army because you know how you can like make use of this terrain better than maybe other factions so this was not the case as this is quite random at lvo so i told also myself it's the same with the content right nick like i could have we could have like talked in depth what what are we going to do and plans every day and this and that but ultimately I, we all said you know what let's just go with the flow and see how it goes and always be honest to yourself and just you know take whatever um, opportunity is in front of you or leave it that's it i love the attitude clearly you are a competitive player you do know what you're talking about in 40k if not demonstrated in your tier list but in at least your approach to playing in 40k tournaments and writing a list and coming up with in the first place i want to transition this talk a little bit adrian to pick your brain about the differences i guess between the u.s and the german meta and how you think the arcs of omen world is going to start shaping itself as we move past lvo so with all these new ideas and option overload kid in the candy store what do you think is going to be doing really well Okay, maybe the first question, what's the difference in German and, and American or U.S. meta? I would say more or less they are kind of the same. It's just like I would say the, there's a trend that, let's say, bigger models such as Imperial Knights, K-1000, 
Chaos Knights. Also, I think Astro Militarum, so Guard, can perform better in US formats because the terrain allows it. Whereas in Germany or in Europe, also UK, UKTC terrain, you will have a lot of angles that you have to create to at least see something. And you will normally use so much movement there. And also, you know, lax night players, when you're not looking at it, you know, they, they move these big models like sometimes a bit um, unclean. This is no offense, but if you really take it correctly, they will most of the time lose quite some movement and would be surprised where they end up only, you know. So I think that's maybe the biggest difference because we have seen only one night list winning a big tournament in Germany uh, over the whole year. And that was the only tournament which had like a different, let's say, you know, um, terrain layout where you could create very good angles. And it was working with a lot of what you call the terrain zones, you know. So once you step in, you see everything kind of that stuff. So I think that is the biggest difference in in these two countries, I would say. And also maybe the po the certain popularity of different armies. So for example, Eldar, Craftworlds are very popular in Germany. Interesting. I've been over to Europe quite a few times to play Warhammer, and definitely in recent years, the, the boards have gotten a lot denser in Europe than they have in America. And that kind of leads to these scenarios you were describing where knights and these vehicle heavy lists will struggle to navigate the table because wheeling around those ruins <coughs> takes a lot of extra movement. It's hard to get line of sight. It's hard to apply your damage. Do you think there's like stylistic differences between the play styles at all, or is that largely 40k is 40k? I wouldn't say, yeah, if, if I had to give a guess, I would say there might be a tendency or, or, or a possibility that U.S. players on average can be a bit more aggressive than European players. But this, this is only pure speculation. It's just maybe a feeling that I that I have. And maybe there's only a small gap, but that could be. In my limited experience, although there's some, uh, I, I would agree. U.S. players do typically just kind of move forward as their general default strategy, whereas European players will sit in their deployment zone as their default strategy. <laughs> yes, yes. And they like to, you know, measure everything out, you know, get the perfect angles, you know, and have a very calculated um, turn, turn for turn, you know. Exactly. Paul, you have any experience with a variety of different 40k styles? What do you think on this? Uh, absolutely. And then seeing how the approach to that. But I do think as far as the approach to competitive nature goes, that is the same everywhere. And I think that the what the local meta might be, what people are taking, is always kind of largely reflective of what people need to predict is their win path through certain players or certain groups of players at events they plan to win for. Do you mean like yeah. you predict like locally I might have to play, if I were to go to a tournament in Florida, I might have to play John or Jack or Sieg. So like I might tech specifically for them. Whereas like if I go to Omaha for a tournament, you know, I'm, I'll tech for that kind of meta. Is that what you're talking about? You will. Or if you, we can all identify what are some strong things in the, in the world out there. What does the environment look like? Well, for, I mean, it's a little bit more difficult to predict now or what we're talking about, but actually we're talking about how to anticipate it. But when we knew that Tyranids and Necrons and Adeptosauritas were incredibly strong, you knew that you were going to encounter a couple of them through your path to victory. It was only, it's not a question of if you were going to encounter them, it's what round you were going to encounter them or how many rounds you were going to encounter them. And so you would build your list either if you weren't taking that or even if you were taking it, you build, you know, some little counter, some little, you know, 100 point, 200 point counter to that in there. But you would build your list thinking about that. Uh, and then that influences with enough people with their actual eye on it what people actually bring. And so you'll see different types of trends and metas develop in areas or in stores. We don't have to be talking about country to country. We could be talking about store to store. Uh, but I think I, I totally agree on what Paul says because uh, we can also draw a comparison here. For example, as I said, you know, in, in Germany, you have a higher chance maybe of um, as long as we can say, you know, Crawford Eldar are competitive and they are good and strong. 
at least you will you have a good chance of meeting them at every tournament and you know maybe one or at least two games whereas for example um, count uh, space marines are quite underrepresented in germany even though they are strong but they're usually on tournaments not as many people playing it as you would expect and that's a total difference to france for example where in france there's a tendency Whenever Chaos Space Marines or Chaos at all is, is at least strong, people will bring it to tournaments in, in, quite, uh, in quite a big uh, amount of frequency. Do you have any idea what causes that, or is that just... Before we get too far off that, if you don't know what uh, what that local meta is, then you've got to tech for what, I don't want to say what the internet is telling you, but what you know to be very popular. Uh, and so when you, your example of going to Omaha or some other, you're traveling far distances, and if you want to attempt to compete on in that way and let me also define what i mean compete in that way you can play at the highest level you know with whatever you want to where i mean we talk about like the the very top tier and top echelons list a lot but if you are good at the game you can play and do well if you want to play counter meta or into the meta or what have you you've got to have more information about that and the lack of that information you've got to play with what you just know is to be strong agree totally agree you had a great answer <laughs> <laughs> was a great answer but i think you were about to go into the outlook you know for for arts of omen and oh, put yes. up some some hypothesis well i mean we have our ideas we actually came up with an art art award tier list uh, just last week where we kind of ballparked what the power levels we thought were each of the factions i don't know if you got a chance to look at that adrian but i'm really curious to see what your thoughts are like who do you think the big winners are the armies that you think might fall out of favor and just generally mm-hmm. what what you in the new arcs of omen meta when you're looking at what you think it'll be how do you approach list building and then that really will lead us into part two really nicely where we talk about literally building a list together in the in the show hold that thought for a second i want to take a quick break a little bit of station identification i want the the folks listening to anticipate what your answer is going to be and see if they get it right on the other side of this Ah, okay so we we make like a like a quick quick second break here right i've got 15 seconds to think about it okay before before i start my first uh sentences i bring out there should i look at it in general or also from like a european or german perspective i'm really curious about your i guess look at it from your european german perspective we'll see how they differ Like what you're listening to? Be sure to check out the second part of this episode, where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. Okay, so I think the elephant in the room I want to put out there is that Astra Militarum or Imperial Guard, as you guys like it to say here in the US, I think, or prefer to to name it, will see definitely play because there are a lot of players having this army at home and want to bring it to a tournament. But I'm very curious and I have small doubts um, that they win turn that they will win a lot of big tournaments in Germany or Europe. That's what I'm really curious about because I'm I'm convinced that they will in the U.S. for sure as they are right now. 
Oh, so you think that they will, or they will, they won't win tournaments in Germany, or they will win tournaments in Germany, and it's different than the U.S., or is it they're going to have an equal rise? I think they will not win as many tournaments in uh, in Germany as they were uh, in the rest, or in in the U.S., for example, as a comparison. Got it. Okay. Because of the terrain, and they they can play the mission definitely, but there are still factions out there with enough terrain, dense terrain, which can outscore them and put them into weird places, you know, blocking them and all that stuff, and also letting them not have their you know best units such as Lehman Russes and all the Khazar can um, get to full effect. Now, if if the Astro Militarum has really been out of sight, out of mind for me personally, since it's not legal for LVM, and I'm really hoping that it gets FAQ'd and their their Khazarkin combos take a step mm. down. Well, you don't like taking all those mortal wounds? I thought you like giving <laughs> mortal wounds. That's, I think we're being a little hypocritical here. I'm just saying, Paul, when one unit of 10 Khazarkins kills Abaddon and two Disco Lords in the same activation, I have problems. I thought he was going to mention them earlier with the Silent King. He's like, oh, just wait. They're going <laughs> to. <Yeah. laughs> Silent King is very silent after that. And that's absolutely unacceptable. Hopefully they get FAQ'd. And when they do, do you think Astra Militarum is still going to be the menace that it is currently? I don't think then. Even after they, after they tone them down, then it really adds also to my hypothesis, right? Then they would even get a bit more... I don't want to say weaker, you know, but they still uh, remain strong. They have all the tools and all the mechanisms that you need in, in this current edition to be successful and to have kind of, you know, place. But uh, I just want to believe in the, in the thought that especially for Europe or Germany, maybe also UK, that they will not, you know, pound as hard through the tournament top placements as expected. I just want to believe that. Yeah. Okay, so Astra Militarum may not do as well in, in Germany, and maybe after an FAQ, it'll take a step back in America as well. So what do you think is going to do really well in Arcs of Omen? What are you worried about? Worried about, I mean, as I said, you know, with the analogy with it being, you know, the, the child in the candy store, I think there are a lot of things to explore right now. So definitely Marines will have an, an uprise. They will be played a lot, and they will also have placements in the top three. I'm pretty sure about that. I also do expect that since they will be played that much, they will be the faction that all other non-Marine players will adapt the fastest to. You know what I mean? Like, let's say the first couple of weeks now, or maybe up to middle of February, end of February, it will be a bit crazy. But after that, you know, they will see kind of a decrease of their strength. You know what I mean? Because people can adapt to them. Yes, exactly. And I mean, people know how to get through power armor. I mean, that's every every army list out there has the ability to do it. But let's talk about why you think the Marines are going to come up. Is it? Do you think that the the way the doctrines now work now to kind of favor some more of the shooty type builds uh, it's a, it's, are, are going to help them propel the mug? Like, what is what is making you think that? It's a combination of a couple of things, right? So first of all, you know, it's also was very interesting since I'm um, kind of building a lot of lists at the moment and, you know, seeing what, what's possible, what was not possible before. And you see every Marine Army, if you go, let's say, for bodies and miniatures on the battlefield, they have so much more bodies on the field right now, you know? And at the same time, most of the units are only not more of them there. They are even much punchier because most of the gear is like free. You know what I mean? So it's a kind of a wombo combo. More is that where bodies, the bodies you're coming from is that basically they're not having to pay 700 points for plasma guns. So they've got you know some more boots on the ground. More boots on the ground and even more punch to it. So as you just said, of course, the defense uh, is a bit lackluster there or that didn't get like boosted. But it could be enough, you know, to put enough strategical hurt to your opponent so that you have... Yeah, so much uh, more, more let's say, capacities 
and possibilities freed up to win the game. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into this in part two of the conversation where we're talking a little bit more about the secondaries. That's why I'm not bringing them up now because some secondaries have changed, like the ability to how certain lists can score points. And we saw that be a big driving factor over this last year about what actually made it to the table. It was like another lever that the game designers could pull to, um, uh, I guess, balance the game. Use the B word there for a second. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you, should I add another thing to the Marine builds? Or, um, oh, yeah. Keep going. But I said, I, I, I'm not going to ask you about the secondaries right now, but we'll do that in part two. But if you have uh, other more stuff to add uh, on the on the other point, please do. Yes. So, so one of my biggest impressions is that um, there was another thing for Marines. They were kind of easy to calculate and they were kind of stationary. That was always, also always kind of a challenge for them. And now with sticky objectives, it gives them the possibility to be much more dynamic and to to also support a more aggressive and, let's say, mobility-driven playstyle. You know what I mean? Since the objectives are still yeah. kind of secured. You used to have to spend four or 500 points on things that just kind of hang out. You hope get ignored. Yeah, maybe. Kind of thing. Yeah, but you also of. need to bring them to bear, to your point. So, you know, it's going to... This dynamic nature that we'll see out of Marines is different than we've seen in at least two years. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a, a total, it will be a completely different style and feeling um, compared to the, let's say, last one or two years. Yeah, totally. Are there any specific chapters you think are, are winners or losers out of this? Or is it just pick a Marine chapter, the points upgrades, the sticky objectives, it's good enough? Well, if you talk competitively, competitively, uh, definitely there will be uh, winners and losers, right? I mean, uh, across the board, they will be all better, just to the facts that we just, uh, you know, uh, laid out. But obviously, the focus currently is on um, Iron Hands because they are very strong shooting army again and scoring while doing that. So that's pretty strong. It's a bit one-dimensional, maybe, or only two-dimensional, but they are definitely in focus. But of course, we will also see Dark Angels super strong. I think White Scars will can have play. And I'm still figuring out Death Watch. For me, as a, also a kind of native Death Watch player, uh, they are near and dear to my heart. I feel like they can be the, a dark horse, but I still have to explore that and find that out. Um, many people approach me and say, oh, yeah, this and that, this and that. But I, you know, there's always a difference between, uh, you know, the thought and the theory and then seeing it in action on the table, right? I'm starting from the things you're mentioning that you play. I'm definitely starting to pick a style, a determine, a, you know, a notice a style here. Yes. But what do you mean by that exactly? Uh, just with it, you know, you've got some, a little bit of elite, a little bit of mobility. Yeah. I mean, what we know is strong in this current edition is mobility, and then also combined with objective secure, that's a nice combination. And yeah, I think just as a marine player, you can now is the time to learn um, to you know not maybe give up, but to learn how to be more more of an aggressive and offensive player, and not only stay back strategically and move your way around and try to score the mission right. So, what about so you think any uh, Xenos factions are going to creep into the meta here, or yeah. is there is there a time when the sun over and they're not going to get yeah, you know, relegated that. to B tier? It's tier and it's no, time. That's why Adrian's taking them. <laughs> Turn it's maybe. I mean, this still has to be <laughs> explored, but definitely Elder will remain strong as they didn't. I think they didn't get hit at all, right? Like maybe the swooping hawks are out or not out, but they're more expensive now. But the rest of the faction kind of uh, was left being untouched. And whereas, you know, with Armor of Contempt gone and all the, you know, other factions being a bit toned at some point, I think Elder have kind of a boost here. So they will be strong, definitely. Uh, Nick, where can fi people find the tier list for the Art of War if they're only listening to this on uh, one platform or the other? 
You can actually find it on our YouTube channel. It's uh, just AOW40K on YouTube. We have all kinds of content on their tier list. Fix my list episodes, coaching games. It's it's got good stuff on there. A lot of it goes into determining that tier, like we're talking about. You got overall power of the of the force. You've got, of course, point efficiencies of some of the more you know, the, I guess aggressive data slates. You got how how they score points, and then you got what other people are taking out there. There's so many moving parts to the meta right now. It's it's very overwhelming. But like you said, kid in the candy store for sure type of vibes. Yeah, and the good thing is, you know, here at Out of War, you have a good frequency. You have people actually, you know, playing these games and doing all that stuff. So they are likely to be one of the first ones to put like real experience and practice out to you guys. So please check out that content. Um, I do that myself too, actually, even though I also bring out my own content, but it's always good to see, you know, what's on the other side and what other people do, because you can only learn from that. So that's great. What what things like pi- this podcast does is help people get almost like a jumpstart of planning. Not everybody has the 10 hours or 12 hours a day to sink into thinking about this. They can listen to this, uh, get some of the thoughts, but nothing does really replicate getting the models on the table. Yeah. We really yeah. try to give the tools, the player, the players, the tools they need to succeed. And not everyone can do 40 K full time. We're pretty privileged to do that. So um, we hopefully can help you speed up your learning process in the game. That's I know it helps sure. me get a, get a little idea, a little strategy, a little combo that maybe I didn't immediately see on the first pass. Like, Ooh, that is good. You know, Mepo you know? <laughs> went down, Paul, he's down 15 points. <laughs> Look, <laughs> he's always a beast. Always in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hopefully we'll t- I know we're talking about Blood Angels at some point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Adrian, is there anything you think we're missing in the meta? You think it's really just going to bring Marine domination with Smash Militarum at the top, or are there other sleeper armies, maybe Gene Stealer cult coming out of the shadows or something? Or oh my God, there, no. there's so much more to explore. I don't know how much more time we have, but I just want to so know that- how many Rogaldorns does one need in a list? How many what? Uh, I don't know. They, they will even have much more problems on dense terrain, you know, because they are much bigger than a Lehman Russ. But um, I think one one point we were missing about Arcs of Omen overall is the list building. It, it got so so much simplified, which I really really do like, and it really opens up a lot of new concepts and builds. Right? We haven't talked about it today, isn't it? Let's talk about it. Let's do talk about it, and then make that best. Well, we'll wrap up this episode, and then we'll jump into part two where we'll apply this to some list types. Okay, so before we do that, I just leave the the points here. Custodies are also back, in my opinion. Not for top-top, but you can win tournaments with them. I would say GSC are back because uh, their minus one counts again, since uh, Armor of Contempt is also uh, gone. And Knights will be definitely a good gatekeeper army for the whole meta. Yeah, I think all those armies that like spammed out that AP1, AP2 volume firepower like GSC and Knights can definitely do. Uh, they love that Space Marines are new in style and they love to kill Space Marines. So I absolutely agree with that. Oh, yes. So let's talk right. about uh, the detachments and, and how easy, or say easy, but simplified maybe building a list is. Yeah, I mean, overall... The classic battalion, all that stuff is gone when you use the Arcs of Omen um, Warzone, right? So it opens up so much for you. Basically, it's just you can choose whatever you want to do or you want to put into a list and at least three times or even more. And you'd only need one HQ if you want. You can still do two or three. So I think that is really, really good. That detachment costs you zero CP. So you have more stuff to spend on relics, wallet trays, and all the other good stuff. So, yeah, I, I really think they did a good thing here and simplified the whole, let's say, army or list building process. What do you guys think? I absolutely agree with that. I think that 
one, you know, having to, you know, people juggling around, almost like dancing around, figuring out how to uh, spend their command points efficiently. And I think it's kind of a deterrent to maybe that, that average player or that very casual player from taking what they want on the table. This eliminates that. Yeah, definitely. I really like that it creates a lot of flexibility to spend your command points the way you want to spend them instead of just spending your command points to take the units you wanted to take. Now you build your army the way you want to build your army, and 40k has balanced enough as a rule set where it's not just take the best data sheet over and over and over again. Maybe that's yes. rule of three, but I think missions also have a lot to do with that. And the because of that already natural incentivization to diversify your army so you can accomplish the missions and follow the rules, um, you can now just spend CP on cool stuff. And with free strategic reserves, you really have all kinds of different opportunities to play the game now like putting knights in reserve is just on the table where it wasn't before yes and it's just a good feeling you know that you don't have to put in these tax units you know like in a the patrol there was from here uh, when i played necrons you always had to have like immortals you know and then you think that you know what are they going to do they're just going to hang out somewhere in the corner anyway for the whole game or stuff like that right so you can really really only take that what you need and what you want and just go for it i think that's great and if you still want to you know have these troops, uh, you know, driven build or whatever, these, these tax unit as a casual player, you can still do that as well. So you're not limited there. They just give you more options. And I think that's a win-win. Yeah, I'm really excited yeah, on this all, build. Yeah, all those points you just made, there you do kind of feel like that bit of um, that tax has been removed. And, you know, who doesn't like that? Nobody yeah, likes paying sure. taxes. <laughs> Yeah, Let's go ahead and sure. jump in into part two uh, here in a second, because this is where now we've talked about, you know, what do you think about when you are traveling to compete? What do you compete in your local area? The, how things are changing? How do you make some analysis on that? And then what some of the changes actually allow you to do at the list construction phase? So, you know, seems like a good place to stop and then pick it back up in part two, where we talk about hopefully maybe like not to screw up all those options you have now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know, Adrian, you've been working on a custodies list really effectively. And uh, I'm curious to see how you evolve it with the new Arcs of Omens, Detachments, Rules. It just creates so many new build options. So yeah, everybody, check it out on Patreon, AOW40K, where you can subscribe to part two and access the podcast. We'll see you all yes. soon. Okay, see you guys. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.